hard to believe that a year has passed by. This is Rabbi Shlomo Kohn with the Practical Parsha podcast. I hope you are well. It's been almost a year since the Practical Parsha podcast has begun. I can't believe it. Um, we began last year on Parsha's Baha which is next week, God willing. And um, it's really been a journey. I'm so happy that I started this podcast. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. And um, if you do enjoy this podcast, you might also like my other podcast on Pirkei Avos. You can search for it by looking in the show notes or by looking for the Pirkei Avos podcast. Additionally, if you could share this podcast with your friends, tell somebody else about it. Spread spread the Torah. Um, and also, if you feel free to send me an email at rabbishlomokon, K-O-H-N, at gmail.com. I love getting feedback. If you have any suggestions, any thoughts, you just want to say hello, I don't bite. Send me an email. I'll be happy to hear from you. And one last note before we begin, that God willing, starting this coming week for the new cycle that we're about to begin, I plan on releasing two episodes during the week. The first episode on Sunday morning will be last year's episode of the Practical Parsha podcast. And later on in the week, hopefully Wednesday, sometimes it's Thursday, sometimes it's Thursday night, right? I will, God willing, release a new episode of the Practical Parsha podcast on the Parsha. So instead of getting one episode a week, you'll be getting two. I hope you enjoy. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Nasso. And the Parsha, just to give a quick overview, starts off with the family of Gershon and Merari. These are the other two sons of Levi. Tells us their special job regarding the tabernacle, the Mishkan, as well as a special counting that God commands Moshe Rabbeinu to take of the Levium. The Parsha continues with the laws of this prohibition of stealing from a convert and, um, and the teshuva process and the teshuva process that one must do to get a complete atonement. The Torah portion continues with the laws of the Sota. The Torah tells us that if a woman is suspected of committing adultery, but there are no witnesses if she actually committed the sin, meaning it's a question, did she commit adultery or not? The... The Torah gives the husband a way to test his wife to see if she is still faithful to him or not. And obviously there's a process that's involved where she is warned after secluding with a strange man. And if she doesn't listen to that warning she and she secludes herself again, the Torah tells us how she's brought to the Kohen and there's a process where the, the name of God is actually ripped up and put inside this special bitter waters, these mehamarim, and the sota would drink these waters, and miraculously, these special waters that had the name of Hashem, the name of God in them, would test her to see if she committed an avera or not. If she was guilty, she would die, but if not, she would live, and she would be permitted to her husband again. In this week's Parsha, we also have the laws of Nazirus, the laws of a Nazir. It's Somebody, or it's referred to as a Nazarite, someone who, who takes a, a oath 
to abstain from wine, from coming into contact with dead people, meaning to abstain from certain things which regular people are allowed to partake of. And the Torah goes through the process of becoming a Nazir, as well as the after process, what happens after his Nazir term is completed, and the different halachos regarding that. Hashem also tells Moshe Rabbeinu the special blessing of Birchus Kohanim, where Aaron and his sons, the Kohanim, are commanded to bless the Jewish people with a special bracha, which the Kohanim still bless the Jewish people to this very day. And finally, the Parsha concludes with the special karbonos, the special sacrifices that each one of the Nesim, each one of the leaders of each of the 12 tribes brought in honor of the dedication of the tabernacle. The first thought I wanted to share with you today is specifically focuses in on the prohibition that the Torah gives us regarding stealing from a convert or from a from a, a proselyte, as referred to in the Parsha. And in the verses, the Torah gives us a special way that a person has to fix his Avera, fix his sin up from stealing. Now, aside from returning an object, the Torah talks specifically about a ger, a convert, that he doesn't have any relatives. So what does this person do if he wants to rectify his sin? Let's say the convert passed on, he has no heirs. How does one rectify that sin? How does one do teshuva on that Avera? The Psukim say, Hashem Hashem spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel, a man or a woman who commits any of man's sins by committing treachery toward Hashem, and that person shall become guilty. And the next passage continues. They shall confess their sin that they committed. He shall make a restitution for his guilt in its principal amount, add its fifth to it, and give it to the one who is indebted. Right? So if a person steals from someone else, aside from stealing, they have to add on a fifth, a fifth of the value of the, of the object they stole as a fine for stealing. And aside from that, they have to confess. There's a confession process. And from this, the sages learn out that when it comes to vidoy, right, when we, when we say on Yom Kippur, we say different confessions, there's actually a mitzvah to say that confession out loud, to actually orally confess. Now, I saw it's very interesting, I saw it brought down, that we know in the Torah, there's nothing extra that's written. Every word is exact, right? We don't have one letter extra in the Torah. So if you look at the verse that talks about the confession about this person who committed an Avera, who stole, who stole from anybody, who stole from a convert, right? The wording is very interesting. It says, if you look in the verse, it says, V'hisvadu es chato'asam asher asu. It says that they shall confess their sins that they did. It seems repetitive. And they shall confess their sins that they did. Right? Why do you need the words, asher asu, that they did? It seems to be repeating something to us. What's the, the message? What's the purpose of these extra words, quote unquote, that the Torah is sort of repeating that the person did this avera? We, we know that they 
have to confess. But why do I have to confess about the sin that they did? We know they did it. It's obvious. So what's the Torah teaching us here? And what lesson can we learn now from it? So there's a very important lesson we can learn when it comes to Averos, when it comes to sins, that Averos don't happen in a vacuum. That a sin is not created out of nothingness. A person just doesn't come to sin out of, out of thin air. It means that if a person came to transgress an Avera to do something, to, to fall, fine, people stumble. But it means that they were in a certain mindset, they were in a certain you know, zone that they were able to you know, trip and fall down and to stumble and to do that in Avera. It doesn't happen by itself. Right? If you think about it for a minute, you know, when a person, everything's going good for a person, a person feels good, they're much less likely to be entrapped in a, in, a, in a sin. So what the Pasuk is telling us here, and I feel this ties very well into the last lesson by the Sota as well, which I'll explain, is that when it comes to Averos, it's not that we just confess and we sinned. It means that we have to confess on the sin that they did meaning we have to find the root cause of what caused us to, to, to fall, to trip, to actually do this Avera. And sometimes, you know, we have to do some soul searching. Sometimes there's a change we need to do, there's a change we need to make in our character to help us correct the problem that we don't stumble in the same area again. And, you know, many times I remember when I was in Yeshiva, the Rosh Yeshiva, Rabbi Levin, he should be gesund. He would always tell the guys that it's, you know, you have to set yourself up for success. Meaning if we have certain challenges that we have a hard time with, or we have certain areas in our life that we can't get a grip on, so we have to set ourselves up that we can't be ensnared by those challenges. For example, if someone has a hard time waking up for morning services, waking up for chakras, so you have to train yourself to not go to sleep late. You have to go to sleep earlier, right? Because once you go to sleep late, it becomes so much harder to get up and, and beat at chakras on time. So in order to prevent that scenario, you have to set yourself up in a way where you're going to sleep early and therefore it's easier for you to wake up and be on time. If you know that when you go past a certain store, you walk past this store, you have to go in and you have to buy something. So then maybe it makes sense to not go buy that store. So therefore you won't be tempted to go in and buy something, right? We need to set ourselves up for success. And just like, you know, we do this for, for you know, if someone would be on a diet and they don't want to eat a certain food, they don't pass by their fa- favorite restaurant, they're not going to stop by the restaurant. So when it comes to Averos as well, on our spiritual side, we have to, aside from finding the root cause of what caused us to, to fall, to stumble, we have to try to set ourselves up for success that we're not going to find ourselves in a position where we're much more likely to fall. Because once we're in that position where we're faced with that choice of do it or not do it, and it's especially in an area where we have tr- struggles with, Right, we have we have, everyone has certain challenges and certain areas of of life where we have a hard time with and things we stumble with. So when it's us versus our challenge, so there's a much higher chance that we're going to stumble. But if we set ourselves up for success and we try to avoid scenarios where 
we're going to to find ourselves challenged. So then we're we're gonna have we're gonna have much more chance of us being successful and not stumbling. Now, granted, there are scenarios where you're gonna have to face your your face your demons, quote unquote, or face your skeletons, and you know we have to be, have the inner strength and conviction to overpower those challenges. I'm not taking away from that, but at the same time. There's nothing wrong with being strategic, nothing wrong with being smart and picking your battles with the Yitzhahara, right? Because if you know you have this challenge, so try to cut out as many times as possible that you won't have to have that fight with the evil inclination. If it's if you knock it down to less one-on-ones, there's a better chance that you're going to have the strength and the conviction to overpower it. And especially if you, you work on yourself to, to get out of scenarios where you're going to have a challenge. So then for sure, God is going to give you the siyata deshmaya, the help from heaven to overpower that Yetzirah, to overpower the evil inclination when you're faced head on. And just to tie this back to, to the Parsha of Sota, to this, this whole you know, story of this woman who is, there's questions on her if she was unfaithful to her husband or not and the waters come and test her that it seems that the commentaries tell us that aside for doing the sin if you know that she might have done that there's a there's a, we fault her for you know all the things that led to the actual sinning of committing adultery meaning to say is it didn't also it didn't happen in a vacuum you know things people get influenced and things happen slowly and the point is is that when we try to get the bigger picture, we try to get to the root of the issue, the root cause of things, so then we're able to solve the problem and to, to really work on things for the long term. And this is an idea which Rabbi Torsky brings down in his book, and he says that that's how he dealt with people who were recovering alcoholics. To get to the, you know, obviously he had methods, different ways of dealing with it, but he would always encourage his clients, his patients, to not just change themselves, but change the way they think to you know to make real changes in one's character in order to prevent them from relapsing now a second thought i wanted to share with you today is regarding the nazir now the nazir is someone who's very interesting because we see that the nazir he abstains from things that are permitted for him he takes a vow that he's not going to have wine and a nazir cannot defile himself cannot come into contact with a dead person Right, he's sort of he's 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 um, uplifting himself. He's taking on extra shindencies upon himself, but yet at the same time, a nazir has to go through a special process, which the Torah tells us to re-enter into society, and part of that process is bringing a sacrifice. And the commentaries tell us that the the reason why he has to bring a sacrifice is because since he sort of withheld some of the pleasures of this world from himself. So therefore, it's sort of like a sin. He withheld from himself. He had to go through this. And God put all these pleasures in the world for a reason. He gave us wine to enjoy and steaks and ice cream and everything good. Right? Obviously, you know, a nuzzer could have ice cream and steaks. But the point is, is that wine especially, you know, represents this idea of like uh, pleasure and enjoyment. God put it, put us, you know, God put it here for us to enjoy. And we know when we have a mitzvah to drink wine, to on Shabbos we make kiddush over wine. On the holidays, there's a mitzvah to drink wine, right? On Purim, people there's a mitzvah to get drunk on wine, right? So, what's going on over here? Is the Nazar doing a good thing? 
that he's, you know, he's taking upon these stringencies upon himself to get closer to Hashem, to get closer to God? Or is he doing something which is negative, which is not good? Now, the commentaries discuss this question, and one way of dealing with it is that, you know, really, in a perfect world, the best way that someone could serve Hashem, to serve God, is if we take the physical and we use it to uplift our spiritual, to bring us up, right? We harness that physical for the spiritual, right? We take that wine, we take that ice cream, we take that steak, and we use it for, for purely spiritual purposes, right? And when we do that, we elevate the, the physical and we become elevated as well. The only thing with that is that it's sometimes challenging. And therefore, the, the Nazir is somebody who it's too hard for him to do it this optimal way. He, it's too much for him. It's, it's very challenging to properly uplift the, the physical into the spiritual. So therefore, he takes a second best option, which is totally abstaining himself, to go to the extreme for a short amount of time so he can get his impulses, his desires under control and become closer to Hashem. And that's one of the ways of understanding this question. Now, I saw it brought down that when the verse tells us about the Nazir, there's a very interesting usage of the words when it comes to referring to the Nazir. It says in the Pasuk, that referring to a Nazir, that he's not allowed to become contaminated to the dead, that to his father or to his mother, or to his brother, to his sister, he shall not contaminate himself to them upon their death, for the crown of his God is upon his head. And it seems a, a very positive reference to the Nazir, that because the crown of Hashem is on his head, so therefore he's, he's holier, he's on a higher level, so therefore he's not able, he's not allowed to contaminate himself to even his, his parents, the death of his parents. Now, the, the question here is, is that what does this wording mean? For the crown of the Almighty is on his head. And just it's an interesting wording. Crown of the Almighty is on his head. I mean, you don't see references in other places to other people that the crown of Hashem, right, is on their head. What does this mean exactly? And the Ibn Ezra, he writes that the word Nazir comes from the Hebrew word Nazir which is crown. And the, the significance to that of the term coming from the word crown teaches us something very important when it comes to desires and controlling our desires. You know, there's a famous, or probably it should be infamous sign that we all know that when the Nazis, the, you know, they had a sign when the, the Jews came into Auschwitz. It said, Arbit macht frei. Work makes you free. Now, obviously, they had insidious, you know, meanings to that when they put it there. They were very, they were masters at, you know, manipulation and um, controlling people, their minds, and breaking them. They didn't just want to break the people physically. They wanted to break the Jewish people spiritually, emotionally, everything, every which way. And they wanted to, you know, when they put that sign there, they had their, you know, insidious reasons why they did it. But if you think about the, the wording of it for a minute, 
you know, obviously, Arbit Machfrei, work makes you free, is that I don't want to focus on them for a minute, but the idea is that sometimes people think that if I could do what I want, when I want, and I could seek any pleasure when I want to seek that pleasure, so then I'm free. I'm, I have freedom, right? And, you know, the term liberty, what is liberty? It means to, to be happy, to, to pursue happiness. That's freedom, right? To pursue what makes you happy. You know, I'm in Pennsylvania, and there's a sign on, on the sign when it says, Welcome to Pennsylvania. It says, Pursue your happiness. Whatever makes you happy, pursue. Pursue your desires. So you might think to yourself that, and many people do think this way, is that freedom means following your desires, following your heart, whatever you want to do. The truth is, is that that's the furthest thing from the truth. Because who is free? Who is someone who is truly free? Someone who is able to control themselves. We know in Perkyavos it says, Ezu Gibor, who is a strong person? Who is someone who is has, has strong? Is it a muscle man? Is someone who has big muscles? No. It's Hakovesh Yitzra, someone who conquers his Yitzhar, someone who conquers the, the evil inclination. Because someone who just does whatever their desires please is not free. They're a slave to their desires, a slave to their pleasures. But an individual who, who, who holds themselves back, who does, who fulfills their obligations, who follows what the Torah says and, and you know, does the mitzvos and does things even though it's maybe not the easiest thing to do and is able to control themselves when they need to control themselves, that's someone who's free. Because they're able, and this ties back to that thing, that they, someone who's working on themselves, right? Someone who's working on themselves, who's controlling themselves, who, who can decide what they want to do, when they want to do it, that's someone who's a free person. And that's the meaning of a Nazir. Because a Nazir is someone who, is with, who, who voluntarily abstains from wine, who voluntarily decides to take a higher level upon themselves in order to get closer to Hashem. And that's why the crown of Hashem is upon them. Because the way to get close to Hashem is having that self-discipline is by controlling your desires, by channeling your heart and soul into the correct path to do mitzvot, to learn Torah. And that's how a person merits to have the crown of Hashem on his head. And that's why a nazir is referred to as a nazir, because it comes from the word nazir, a crown. And that is this idea that to have true freedom it's controlling our desires, and that is what it really means to be free. That's going to finish for today's podcast. I hope you all enjoyed. If you have any questions, comments, or would like to reach out, please feel free to send me an email at rabbishlomokomadekei at gmail.com. Have a great day.